Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. Can we welcome all of our campuses, our Germantown, our West, our Appleton, our online campuses, all of our campuses? We are one church, multiple locations, and so we're glad wherever you are as you're joining us today. And we're starting a brand new series, as Ryan said, uh, or your campus pastor would have said, uh, Kevin at West and, and Sean at, uh, at Appleton. But uh, we're starting a brand new series on the Holy Spirit called The Ghost. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, we're going to get right into that. I want to do two things really quick uh, as I kind of jump into this today. I, I am typically a very heavy applicational preacher or communicator, and I'm going to endeavor to do my best with that today. But uh, I'm going to give you some information. So you may want to jot some things down, take some notes down. Uh, you can also get this message uh, free online at lifechurchwi.com anytime or you go on the app and, and download it. It'll be there this afternoon. Uh, but there's two things I want to say. One is if you're really geeked out about this subject that we're going to be talking about, the ghost, the person of the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you if you don't have, I know this is like the biggest Bible known to man, right? You could kill somebody with this. But uh, anybody else? My mother used to, my, she still does, my grandmother. They had huge Bibles. And so, uh, but, but this is uh, called a full life study Bible. Uh, it was produced by Zondervan uh, out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, it's just a major uh, a printing house publishing company uh, in the evangelical world. And uh, they, they kind of discontinued it. And so life publishers uh, picked it up and it's called the Fire Bible. And so this, I'm, the reason why I'm saying this, this is the best study Bible when it comes to these subjects. Uh, most study Bibles, and I have them all, trust me, uh, they, they kind of negate this passage. They just kind of gloss over it. This is going to explain not only what is happening uh, in the New Testament church from Acts uh, chapter 1 all the way through to Revelation, but it's also going to give, there's a lot of articles and information, and I would just encourage you that if you are really interested in this subject, grab this study Bible. Uh, you can pick it up at the Resource Center at any of our campuses. And so it comes in a leather-bound edition. There's also a student edition. Somebody asked me, is there a difference? No. Uh, one is larger print, which would be this one, and one is smaller print, which is a student one. Uh, and so I would just encourage you uh, to pick this up if you're really interested in the subject because it's exhaustive. And the second thing I want to say today, too, is in this series, my goal is not to dumb these things down, but to make them simple. I think great communicators uh, take complex ideas and theologies and make them simple. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of preachers and communicators that will try to just take complicated things and make them more complicated, and I don't understand why. And, um, and so this is one of those subjects that's not easy to necessarily understand, but I'm going to do my best today in the next several weeks. And I just want to start with this. The reason why I am talking about this subject is because it probably has the greatest amount of applicational value to your life post-salvation. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, in the, in the original Greek, pneuma, which is, means ghost or spirit, so it's interchangeable. Typically in the NIV or the message transliteration, uh, it's used spirit instead of ghost because ghost kind of has these connotations, whether it's Casper the Friendly Ghost or ghosts, like spirits, like doo -doo 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 -doo. so, 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 but I kind of like using the whole ghost thing because it kind of gets your attention a little bit. So if I use the word spirit or ghost, I'm not talking about two different entities. This is, 
This is the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Ghost and Spirit are one and the same. Pneuma, it's the same thing. Um, but the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is like a personal navigational system in your life. Every person wants to get somewhere. And everybody wants to get somewhere as efficiently and as effectively on that journey as best they can. All of us want to raise our kids, want to see them get to a particular place in life, maybe just out of the house. Praise God for that. Uh, you're trying to accomplish a job. You're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. You're trying to figure out what you, who, who you should marry. You're trying to figure out, do you take the promotion? Do you not take the promotion? How do you deal with this individual? How do you deal with this? The person of the Holy Ghost is the one whom God the Creator sent, promised, we're going to talk about that today, to help lead and guide you and I into all truth. He's the comforter. He's the convictor of our sins. The Greek uses the word to describe him, the paraclete, and I'll talk more about this next week. But he's one that walks alongside us. He's a personal navigational system. I, I don't mean to dumb him down, but I'm just trying to help us understand this huge thing and bring it down into a way that we can get it. I love navigational systems. Not only do I like it on my phone, but I love having them in my car. And in my car, when the screen pops up, of course, it says you can't like do anything, you know, while you're driving. And you always say yes, even though you do, right? And this new, new deal that I have got in my car has handwritten, it's voice recognition, but I can also drive and just do my finger and I can write on this pad and it pops up and so it'll get me these directions. And so it's real-time driving, it's satellite linked, so it knows where I am, it knows where I want to be, and it helps me navigate. If the traffic is slow, it gives me alternate routes. If I, if I go, oh, the Krispy Kreme hot light's on, I need to make a detour here, which I do. It is a law in my car. And so anyhow, that's my children. And so, so I can go, it helps me. And, and if there's a wreck, it helps me to avoid it. It's all of this. And I can do voice recognition, handwritten recognition. It knows me. It, it it's kind of compiles this data on me and kind of where I go and how I do and kind of how fast I like to drive. And, and all those kinds of things to help get me the most efficient, effective, productive route and journey from where I am to where I want to be. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life and my life. Spiritually, but it produces the dividends and the results physically. And I'm going to show you that in the next couple of weeks. So if you have your Bibles, I, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And I'm going to read it. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. I'm reading in the NIV, the New, uh, uh, New International Version, which is probably, probably the easiest read. It's at a ninth grade reading level, so it, it, it's good for all of us. Here we go, Acts chapter 1. And in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Ghost to the apostles that he had chosen. And after his suffering, suffering, he presented himself to them, speaking of the disciples, and Jesus gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating... That is spiritual. So as you eat today, just remember, that's what Jesus did. That's why I eat all the time. Amen. All right. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. So water baptism. But in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said, it is not for you to know the times of the day to the Father has set by his own authority. But verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a lot there. And so I just want to talk about this today. I want to try to explain and unpack this as best I can today. First of all, I want to give you a little bit of background information. This book, is, uh, the book of Acts, is authored by Luke. And Luke is also the one who wrote the gospel of Luke. Luke, by vocation and trade, the Bible speaks of him, he was a physician. And so he was an educated individual. He was a thorough individual. He was a detailed individual. It's very interesting to me how God uses different people to do different things. Peter was the leader of the New Testament church, yet he writes the smallest amount of the New Testament. But Luke, who does, in a visible way, uh, less, is someone that God uses greatly to basically canonize the entire uh, understanding of the gospel, the story of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how he did it. And this book of Acts, which are the actions of the apostles in the birth of the New Testament church. It's being written, scholars tell us, around 63 AD, which would mean that as Luke is writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the church is about 30 years of age. That what we're reading in Acts chapter 1 actually occurred about 30 years prior. So there's some history. There's some perspective. There, there is, if, you're, if you look at the Bible, and you should, from a literary perspective, there's foreshadowing that happens. Uh, it's, it's amazing. There are very, there's a lot of different literary devices that are used throughout the writing of God's Word. And so Luke has this perspective. He kind of gets to see it 30 years later. So he's not just writing it in real time, although he lives it in real time. He's writing it with a perspective that is broader and, and has some meaning and some fulfillment. Uh, not to mention, uh, he is under the inspiration and leading the guiding of the Holy Ghost himself. So it's just about 30 years after the fact that Jesus came and lived and died on the cross and rose again. So these words are being written. And there's a couple of observations I want to give you today. The first observation I want you to see out of this passage is, is in the first three verses. And it's simply this, that the, if this is about the action of divinity through humanity. The book of Acts is about the action of divinity, Jesus Christ, working through the person of the Holy Spirit through humanity. That's why it's called Acts. It's the actions of the apostles. It's the actions of the New Testament church. It's the actions of Jesus Christ, the divine, working through the divine gifting of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, through his people. Now, if you look at verse 3, excuse me, verses 1 through 3, there's a couple things in here. And I want to reread this again for you. So, so start, let's, let's look at this again. Verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, which we see later on this chapter, he is taken up into heaven. And after giving the instructions to the Holy Ghost, to the apostles that he had chosen, and after his, after his subject, excuse me, his suffering, he presented them to them, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There's a couple of interesting things. So, uh, one is when he says in verse 1, the former book, he's referring, if you have the King James Version, it says my for, former treaties, it's, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke that he's written. 
So really, if you really want to get a great perspective of the book of Acts, read the gospel of Luke and then go right into the book of Acts. It's the same, it's the same author, in essence, that's, that's written these things. The other thing is Theophilus. Who the heck is Theophilus? Like, why is he important? And just understand, there's nothing that, how do you say this? There's never anything in Scripture that's just there because it's there. There's always a reason. We don't always know what the reason is, but there's always a reason. And, and even if you're like an, an English major and you're really into grammar, and I know that they don't diagram sentences anymore, which I think everybody should have to diagram sentence because I had to go through it and you should have to go through it. But, but if, you, if you get through that practice, if you look at Scripture that way, there's a lot of information. That's what I love about the Bible. You can look at it from multiple facets, and it's just this rich wealth of information because it's not static. It's kinetic. It's, 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 it's organic. It it's, it's, it's never returns void. It's living. Why? John chapter 1, verse 1, and the Word became flesh, Jesus, and he dwelt with among us. So Jesus is the Word, and the Word of God that you and I have, even a big word like this, is Jesus. It's amazing. So anyhow. It's a whole other story for a whole other day. But Theophilus, what, Theophilus means lover of God. And some of you kind of get into this. You're kind of like Bible buffs and you kind of like to know about this. Some of you don't. And if you don't care about this, you can Facebook right now. You can Twitter right now, Instagram. Just I'll tell you when to come back with me in a minute. But those of you that are curious of who Theophilus is, officially we don't know, right? But Theophilus means lover of God. So there's several different theories about who Theophilus is. One is, is that he was just a friend of Luke's. Another is, is that it, Theophilus basically stands for all Christ followers. All those who are lovers of God, let me write this to you. Another uh, uh, scholarly theory is that Theophilus is the attorney who will represent Paul before the, his Roman trials, before he dies. And Luke, the doctor, is actually transcribing, he's actually writing out everything that's happened that's led Paul to this point. Another is that he's a high-ranking Roman official that's demanding information, that wants to know what's happening with this group of renegades that we thought we exterminated them with Jesus, but we didn't. Another, which I've never heard of before until this week, I began to, and I did some more research just to make sure that this wasn't just out there, uh, but that it had some, uh, could hold some water. And that is, is that Luke was speaking to Theophilus, his master, because in first century Rome, wealthy individuals, especially Roman individuals, would own slaves, which would have been common, but more than that, they would have owned a doctor. And the doctor would have been almost how we would look at concierge medicine, like a concierge doctor, but it would be exclusively for the right of that wealthy family. But that person would be indentured or enslaved unto that family, and so that Theophilus could have been that, and that Luke is simply trying to express to him what he's done with his life and how he's spending things. We don't know, but what we do know is, is that it's important, and, and, the, and these are some of the ideas. It's, it, it, it's to the lover of God. Now, those of you that are Instagramming, Facebooking, and Twittering, come back with the rest of us now. I want to show you one more thing, because this is important to understand. Action of divinity through humanity. These first three verses are literary foreshadowing of the entire 28 chapters of the book of Acts, which is the action of divinity through humanity. He says, Luke says, that Jesus walked the earth for 40 days, and he proved himself out before the disciples, before the apostles. 
So we, here's, let me give you a timeline. So we have, we have Jesus lives through life. So he's born of a virgin, right? He grows to 30 years of age. At 30 years of age, he goes public. His first, first um, miracle would be turning water into wine. He assembles the disciples, and for three years, they walk the earth, and Jesus does the miracle signs and wonders. He does all the teachings and all that we see and all that we read about and the gospels in the book of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is tried before, uh, before the, the Sanhedrin, uh, which would have been comprised of, of the religious Jewish elect of that day and found guilty basically of blasphemy against God and of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and because he says that he is the Messiah and they just can't accept it, they turn him over to a Roman court, which the Jews were under. Israel was under Roman rule and occupancy. And so, again, he, he basically is allowed to be, to be tried, in essence, where Pontius Pilate watches his hands of it, turns it back to the people, and the people say, crucify him. He dies on a cross, which would have been a criminal's death. He, he is put into a tomb, uh, and on the third day, he rises, he raises, he's risen. I don't know how to say that. Can I just tell you that? And then when I think of rises, risen, rosen, it makes me think of like yeast, like bread rising, and I get hungry. And so it's just another thought. Anyhow, I'm just being honest. I know I have adult ADD. There's a bird right there. I mean, that's just kind of me. So I'm just telling you. So anyhow, he raises, is risen, rosen, whatever from the grave. Some of you that are English teachers can help me. Even when I pray the sinner's prayer, I don't everything I say. I have really great subject verb agreement on that. So he is risen from the grave and for 40 days he presents himself to the apostles. Now we know what's going to happen in Acts chapter 2 which is the day of Pentecost. Penta means five. Pentagon, five points. Penta, five. So it's 50 days after Passover. Jesus is crucified and goes into the ground over the weekend of Passover but he there, and there's a 40-day period, a 50-day period from Passover to Pentecost, two of the festivals in the Jewish holiday. But for 40 of the 50 days, Jesus is on the earth. For 40 of the 50 days, Jesus is proving that he is divine, that he not only said that he was the Messiah, but that he indeed was the Messiah. He is proving himself out. Here's what's interesting about the number 40. 40 is found, the number 40 is found 146 times throughout Scripture. And in every situation and instance, 40 represents a season of trial or of testing or proving. Every time. Jesus is on the earth and he's proving, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am who I said I was. And I did what I said I was going to do. And I have paid for the sins of humanity. And now it's time for me to go to the right hand of the Father. And what's interesting about these first three verses that we just skimmed through is that it's a foreshadowing, a literary foreshadowing of the entire book of Acts. Because the entire book of Acts is about the action of the divine, Jesus, working through the person of the Holy Spirit through the humanity of, of man through the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus for 40 days is walking the earth, the divine, and allowing himself to be proven out through the humanity of mankind. He is doing, in essence, what he's going to ask them to do. He is living out in those three verses what, what Luke will record in 28 chapters. And you just thought, wow, he's there for 40 days. And who the heck is Theophilus? I'm just saying. The second observation I want to give you is a focus on the promise of the Holy Ghost. Because Jesus goes from being with us to in us. From being with us to in us. Let me explain this. From being with us, Emmanuel, God is with us, 
right? That's Christmas. We just talked about it a couple weeks ago. To in us. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. And on one occasion, during the 40-day period that Jesus is on the earth, while he was eating with them, the disciples, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. We know that Jesus spoke about it because in the Gospel of John, he goes to a great extent to explain this conversation that Jesus has prior to the cross about who the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Ghost is, and what he will do in their lives. Look at verse 5. For John, John the Baptist, baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the dates or the times that the Father set by his own authority. Now I want you to understand a couple of things here. Because this is real important that you understand this next part that I'm going to say. If you're really going to get understand this Holy Ghost, who he is and how he works. The pattern of God in scripture is that in the Old Testament and prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, God was always around us. So in the Old Testament, he was a cloud by day and fire by night. He was a voice. He was a, a person that interacted with very few people like Abraham or Moses. Prior to sin entering into the world, uh, we see that he actually walks and talks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day because God created us for relationship, not for achievement. God wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. God doesn't want to be some cosmic killjoy. God doesn't want to be someone that's out there in a distance. God wants to be intimately, relationally connected to you and I. But because of sin, he's around us. And so we see then in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books in the New Testament, that God goes from being around us to being with us to the person of Jesus. That's why they call them Emmanuel. God is with us. That's what that means. And so Jesus now is with man. For the first time since the beginning of creation, God is now with his creation. The creator is now actively engaging, relationally touching, intimately uh, communicating, connecting with his creation. But in order for God to do everything that he wants to do, he has to take it to a whole nother level. And Jesus has to do the work, die on the cross, be the redemption for mankind, for your sin and for my sin and for the sins of humanity, raise, be risen from the grave, and then ascend to the right hand of the Father. And Hebrews says, the book of Hebrews says, that his role is making intercession for us. His role is every time God wants to wipe us off the face of the planet, his role is to go, whoa, 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 my blood pays for their sins. And God the Father says, you're right. And he sits down and everything's cool. And that relationship happens in the Old Testament through Christ types like Abraham. God, if there be but ten, ten godly people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, will you not wipe it off the face of the planet? And God says, I will, which is grace. Moses says, God, I know these are a stiff-necked people, but will you give them one more chance and don't kill them in the desert? And God says, okay, Moses, for your sake, I will keep my word. That's what Jesus does every single hour of the day for humanity. Because you and I, our righteousness is as a filthy rags inside of a holy God. 
that we are flawed, we are failed, we, can, we can't pay for our sins. We are dead in our sins and our transgressions. But Jesus, but Jesus said he would never leave us nor forsake us, even to the ends of the earth. God said he would be with us. And God's desire is to be intimately connected with us. Thus, you have the Holy Ghost as recorded in the book of Acts. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and the Holy Ghost comes and now lives with us. John chapter 16 verse, says, verse 7 says, unless Jesus goes, the Holy Ghost cannot come. So Aaron was a Holy Ghost on the planet when Jesus was here? Yes, he was here in the person of Jesus. But Jesus, limited by his own flesh while he walked the earth, is not omnipresent, which he doesn't have the ability in the flesh to be at all places, at all times, in all, in, in, in all situations. God does, but Jesus at that point doesn't. But Jesus does now because of the person of the Holy Ghost. And that's what Jesus is explaining to them. Look, guys, I'm going to leave. And, you, and, and I just want to stop for just a minute. I don't want to take a lot, a lot of time for this. But verses 6 and verse 7, you see the anxiety. Well, oh, is this the time that the kingdom's going to happen? Because in the, their mind, what's happening is, is that part of what the Messiah was to do was to establish Israel as a nation free and sovereign. And so in the first century, when this is all happening, Israel is under Roman rule and occupancy. And so the disciples keep looking at this role of the Messiah strictly from a physical standpoint. They don't realize that there's a spiritual reality that's so much greater than anything that they're even going to really realize at this point until they're baptized with the Holy Ghost. So they go, hey, is this going to be the time that, that God's going to establish Israel and, and we're going to overthrow the Roman government? Is this, and, and Jesus goes, no, 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 guys. But part of that is because they're anxious. Because Jesus is saying, look, I'm fixing to leave. I'm fixing to leave, as we'd say in the South. And, 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 and I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will walk alongside you. The Holy Ghost will lead you into all truth. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But right now, I am limited to be with you. But when the Holy Ghost comes, when the Holy Ghost comes, and when you receive the promise of the Holy Ghost, when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, He will no longer be with you. He will be in you. And in a powerful, powerful way. So I want to go back to verse 5 and explain this. Because I think this probably is the most misunderstood, in my opinion, on this subject. And again, you may have questions with this. Totally fine. On Wednesday, January the 21st at the Germantown campus, I'm going to do a, a, a kind of a Q&A time on this entire subject of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to actually do a little bit more teaching on the Holy Ghost and more of in a, in, a, in a teaching type of a format. It'll be about a 45-minute session. And, uh, and then I'm going to end with uh, basically kind of giving a break and anyone that wants to then receive this promise of the Holy Ghost as is outlined in the Bible because we believe that the Bible is God's Word and it's true and yes and it works and all that. We're going to have an opportunity for you to do that. And if you just want to come and audit... Uh, this teaching and you kind of want to come because you got some questions or just kind of want to learn more, again, I'd encourage you to be here and you can check the backside of your communication card uh, there on uh, that you'd like more information on the Holy Spirit night on January the 21st. But I want to get this really quick because I want you to understand this before you leave, that God is not, no longer is with us, but through the power and the person of the Holy Ghost, he's in us. Look at verse five again. Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me 
I try not to get too deep in this theologically, but let me explain very quickly and very simply what theologians would call regeneration, what we call salvation. It's one of the same. John chapter 3, just walk with me. I'm just going to walk you through this logically. John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. It's not really important who it is, but I'm just referencing it. And basically says, unless you are born again, you can't can't inherit the kingdom of God. You, You don't go to heaven. And Nicodemus says, how can a man physically be born again? And Jesus explains to him, for first you are born of of the flesh. But the second, the spiritual being born again is of the spirit. Pneumos, ghost, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Okay? So John 3.16, we know the the gospel, the message that allows us to be saved, to be regenerated in our own spirits. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but would have everlasting life. Boom. So we understand that when we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that when we ask Jesus to come into our heart and to our life, when we accept John 3.16, when we believe that Jesus is who the Bible says that he was and that he is, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again, just like the Bible says that we are saved. We are spiritually regenerated. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews, excuse me, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 that the working of the Holy Spirit seals us at salvation meaning that we are filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation this also happened for the happened for the disciples but it didn't happen for the disciples prior to the cross because the work of the cross had not yet been finished that's why when Jesus was hanging from heaven and earth on the cross before he dies he utters the words it is finished because it's done The sins of humanity have been paid for in full. Redemption has been purchased. The Messiah is here and has done the work that frees us from the bondage of our own sins. Jesus is then put in the tomb and he comes to life again. And that has to happen. Why? Because it's part of the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Yes, but it also is because he had to overcome death, hell, and the grave. He had to be victorious. Why? Because he was not just man. He was divine. He wasn't just human. He was God. And so when Jesus raises himself, when Jesus is risen from the grave over the 40-day period, as he's proving to the disciples, as he's telling Thomas, touch my hands, see the nail scars in my hand, look at my side where I was pierced. You guys all saw this. Look at where the the thorns were. Look, look, but I'm, 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 I'm the Messiah. I'm God. And the Bible says in John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 22, and then Jesus breathed on the disciples and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Why is that? It's the same thing that happens at you, in you and I when we pray the sinner's prayer that Ephesians 1.13 talks about. It's the sealing work of the Holy Spirit that at salvation we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus, this is real important, I'm almost done. I'm fixing to land the plane. Got it? Hang on, Margaret. Buckle up. Here we go. All right. So as Jesus is speaking here in Acts chapter 1, this receive, as he breathed into them the Holy Spirit, that's already happened. 
So why is he talking about the promise of the Holy Ghost? Because it's the second piece of this. Do you have to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost to go to heaven? No. You don't have to have a navigational system in your car either. It'll drive just fine without one. But it's an upgrade that keeps you from getting lost. It's an upgrade that keeps you from just doing life normal. It's the upgrade that empowers you. And I'm going to talk more about that in the upcoming weeks. And so when he says, and John, excuse me, when he says in Acts 1-5, but you in a few days will be baptized with the Holy Ghost, that's different than being filled with the Spirit of God. There's a baptism in the Spirit of God. And he says, this is going to give you power. Look at verse 8. It's going to give you power to live this life. Some of you want to know why your life, your spiritual life is dead. Some of you want to know why you're more excited about the Packer game at noon. And I'm geeked out about it too. But I have an occupational hazard called church. And I'm going to get out of here as quickly as I can. But, but, but work with me. It, it, you're more excited about that than you are about the things of God. Because there's no power. And the Greek word for power there is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. There's no kinetic energy that's happening in your spiritual life. And you go from day to day to day to day to day, and you're bored. And this is not what God's called us to. This is not the walk that he's called us to. And Jesus understood, not just for the first century, but in the 21st century, that we're going to have to have a supernatural experience, not just to be filled with the Spirit of God, which is all we need to get to salvation all we need to get to heaven. You understand that? Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not required to get to heaven. Neither is water baptism. I don't know about that. What about the thief on the cross that Jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise? He doesn't have the luxury of being water baptized. Woo! Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. All right, love when the Bible works, right? But they are things that God says, here's a gift for you. So I just want to give you a real simple, hold on, illustration that I think will help all of us get this. You like object lessons? Good, so do I. I was educated in Arkansas, people. I'm not that smart. Okay. The Bible says that there's many symbols for the Holy Ghost. One of them is water. One of them is fire. One of them is a dove. John chapter 7, Jesus says that there'll be springs of living water from this Holy Ghost. So what happens is, this represents your life and my life. It's our life. We're empty, we're without God. We're dead in our sins, we're on our way to hell. We hear a gospel message that Jesus Christ loves us so much that he died on the cross for our sins, he rose again, and he seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord and be my Savior and forgive me my sins. And that moment, that instance, the Bible says that through the person of the Holy Spirit, God, which would represent this picture, pours out the Holy Ghost, and we are filled with the Holy Ghost. This is all we need to get to heaven. Nothing more, nothing less. Being a, a good glass, being a good vessel isn't enough. Being a good person isn't enough. We must be filled with the Spirit of God. How are we filled with the Spirit of God? By simply asking Jesus to come into our heart, into our life. That's all we need. Period. Done. And if you don't believe the next part, you go, well, I believe that it happened in the first century. And, and, and all Protestant and even, quite frankly, Catholic, we all believe what happened in the book of Acts happened the way it happened. Nobody argues over that. The question is, is, is it for today? And it's because a lot of people made it weird, and I get it. And I'm going to try not to make it weird because I don't like weird. I don't think God likes weird. 
I don't even think weird's going to be in heaven. So anyhow, so, so we're filled, right? This is what's happening. So this is what happened with you and I, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Filled. The Holy Spirit sealed our salvation. We're filled. This is what happens in John chapter 20, verse 22. You can read it for yourself. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he's with the disciples, and he says to them, now receive ye the Holy Spirit. Boom. That happens. Theologically, the problem is, is that Jesus keeps talking about this baptism in the Holy Ghost, which is different than the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, filling, part one, salvation. But there's a bigger issue. There's a, a bigger container, if you would. And he says in verse 5 of Acts chapter 1 that there's this baptism in the Holy Ghost. And verse 8, he says that you will receive power in the Holy Ghost when he comes upon you. So what's the difference between being filled, salvation, with the Holy Ghost and being baptized in the Holy Ghost? It's the same God, same picture, same water, same spirit, into the same life. But what begins to happen is, is it doesn't just fill us, it begins to surround us. It begins to envelop us. It begins to every part of our life begin to control us and begin to say we are completely surrounded below, above, beside, and it begins to, as John chapter 7 says, it will be like rivers of living water that will burst forth from your soul. That's the reason why they use the water analogy because this is a baptism until you are completely and utterly baptized in the Holy Ghost. And that is what we're going to talk about next week. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you today, Lord, for your life. And I thank you, Lord, that we have this incredible gift called the Bible that helps us to understand our journey. And I thank you for the gift of the Holy Ghost, not just that fills us and seals our salvation, but that there is this power to live this life, this baptism, this free gift that comes from you. And I pray, God, stir our hearts, stir our minds, stir our intellects. Let us dig deep into your word and begin to research and begin to look for ourselves. Let us get alone, just as you said in verse 4, and to begin to tarry and begin to wait and say, Jesus, if this is really you, if this is really real, then reveal it to me and show it to me. And I pray, God, supernaturally that you would begin to do that in our lives today and over these next several weeks as we study the person of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen.